Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we have a special interview episode with guest Justin Santamaria. He actually worked on the teams at Apple. That was over FaceTime and iMessage. We're going to talk about that. He also worked at Airbnb and now has co-founded a new company called Future that's really revolutionizing digital fitness. We'll get to that in a bit. Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Stephen. Um, long, long time reader. Oh, so it's, it's cool to be on the podcast. Wonderful. So you worked at Apple. How long did you work at Apple? And, you know, I mentioned you worked on FaceTime and iMessage, but what was kind of your path as you were there at the company? Yeah, great question. I uh, joined the company in 2003 and I was there for 10 years wow. or right under 10 years. They asked, do you get, did I get my 10 year plaque? And I was like, no, I didn't get my 10 year plaque. I was oh. like nine and a half right there. I got my five year. Very good. But yes, I started uh, at Apple in 2003. My first project was iTunes for Windows and I was there for the launch of that product so that's that's uh (laughs) you know to think 2003 you're launching itunes for windows 2007 you're launching iphone you're like wow that that was a jump yes four (laughs) years to go from itunes on windows to iphone my goodness so you worked on imessage and facetime facetime launched in 2010 with ios 4 then imessage in 2011 one year later ios 5 what was your responsibilities in relation to FaceTime and iMessage during that time? So during that time, I was managing the communications applications group. So anything on the client uh, or on the on the device uh, on the iPhone, um, that app or that app experience, uh, I was responsible for delivering on. Um, and as part of that, working with our backend and server teams to actually define what is this service and how are we going to do it? Apple, at least at the time, didn't have any product managers kind of setting requirements. So it was up to actual engineering managers to figure out, okay, if we're going to deliver this product, what features does it have and how, how do we make that work? Uh, and so part of the development teams for both of that uh, and then responsible for that app side for both of those projects. Fascinating. So definitely want to get to iMessage in depth in a moment. But sure. FaceTime came out first, came out with the iPhone 4. It was actually my very first iPhone was the iPhone 4. Oh, wow. The first one with the front-facing camera and FaceTime right. obviously was the big feature for that. I want to ask about Steve Jobs talking about FaceTime being open source at the announcement. Yeah, right, yes. So before that, a lot of times from the outside, we don't know how long Apple is working on a new feature or service or app. So you being on those teams, can you recall when FaceTime kind of began production or when you guys actually started developing it before the 2010 launch date? Uh, I sure can, because at that point, you know, we're doing our fourth version of iOS. And at that time, you're at a breakneck pace in terms of developing software. And so basically, the way Apple, uh, and especially iOS software, the schedule works is it's backed up against a hardware schedule. Right. Like there's new phones coming from China, factories getting set up, uh, it needs software. And so therefore this is the date. Um, and, and that date did not move. And that's the headlining feature of the iPhone 4 was the front facing camera and the retina screen. And that's right. And so for for that, it was coming right off of um, three um, that that just, you know, the next week you're like, OK, let's the four is going to have a camera. And, a, you know, as far as hardware development, um, that's a much longer process. But uh, at the time, the team was so small, you couldn't develop the software for the phone to two out at the same time you were trying to develop for the very next version. So we got started right after I guess it was the 3GS launch mm. working for 
on uh, what would become FaceTime, um, knowing, hey, there's going to be a front-facing camera. Clearly, we're going to do, you know, FaceTime because what else do you do with a front-facing camera? It, it's funny to think that selfie wasn't a coin term or that wouldn't, <laughs> right. you know, be enough for a front-facing <laughs> camera to have a camera that you could take a picture of yourself. Right. Uh, we needed more. It was very clear that this was not a feature that we uh, could slip because you're right. It was a marquee thing. It right. had to happen. There was no choice. Right. And so you just work back. You're like, okay, we've got, you know, 11 months. Wow. Um, let's get started. <laughs> right. And that's one of those features that is not announced at like the developers conference because it's directly related to the hardware of the phone. So Apple's not going to say, hey, we have FaceTime coming in our unreleased phone that we're not going to tell you about. Right. So you had a solid year from 3GS launch or 11 months at least, until the iPhone 4 was announced. And I still remember that keynote, Steve Jobs talking about FaceTime being a big deal. And one of the most hilarious lines was Steve Jobs saying that we're going to make this open source so you'll be able to get FaceTime on devices besides the iPhone. And now fast forward 12 years, and we've just now with iOS 15 kind of have FaceTime if you send a link to an Android or Windows user, but we definitely do not have FaceTime apps for those platforms. So tell me when that happened, did any of you guys have an idea that he was about to say it? And what was the reaction after it happened? Steven, that's so funny because I do remember that um, that whole, con- that, uh, that whole, well, it was a fall iPhone launch. It was the so- fall announcement. That's right. Yeah. That fall announcement was the most stressful uh, experience of my entire life. <laughs> oh my goodness. But if, if you recall, they had to t- tell everyone to turn off their hotspots. Right. Yes, that was that one. That was because we were going to do the FaceTime demo at the end and the phones on the the stage were using the the Wi-Fi that you know, it was, it was using Wi-Fi. And all the press, yeah. all the press were and, using. And all the press was using Wi-Fi, so there's so much interference. We actually had in-person events. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is back in the day. Can you imagine right. that? People flew out and all got in a room to see something. Right. It's 2010, and, you know, hotspots are a thing. So, you know, at this point, press is filing live reports and, and live, live blogging and all these right. things. And so everyone has their own hotspots, and the uh, Wi-Fi uh, spectrum's just hosed there. And if you, if you remember, he's demoing Retina with the New York Times, the New York Times page doesn't load. Right. And I know what the end of the demo is. I'm like, the New York Times can't load. <laughs> FaceTime is going to have a this problem. This demo's toast. <laughs> like, there's no way. Right. I remember I was in the second row of that thing. And we had been rehearsing for four days, five days before um, in Moscone Center, going through it, going through it, going through it. And working with the person setting up Wi-Fi and, and he's got a meter there and, you know, it's got the, you know, green, yellow, red type thing. Right. And it's white. It's a color that wasn't even there wasn't showing reading. interference. Yeah. And so, you know, they turn off the phones and we're able to get a demo through. But I was like, oh, man, this was not expected at all. We figured out why uh, my demo crashed because there are 570 Wi-Fi base stations operating in this room. So all you bloggers need to turn off your base stations, turn off your Wi-Fi, every notebook, I'd like them to put, put them down on the floor, and all of you look around, I'd like you to police each other. As far as the, the open slide, I remember, I think that got added very late in the game. Right. It was definitely uh, an 11th hour. Oh, I know. So I, I knew it was coming, but I didn't know what it was. And I don't think anyone else did either. We're going to take it all the way. We're going to the standards bodies starting tomorrow. And we're going to make FaceTime an open industry standard. So after the event, and that was announced, 
I don't think Apple ever really mentioned it again. It just kind of quietly dissipated into the ether. What was the behind the scenes talk? Was there ever efforts to make it open source or release it to other platforms? Or was it just like, JK, we're not doing this actually? Um, it was a long time ago. I know there were efforts. It was actually handled by a different group, believe it or not. So gotcha. I was not responsible for delivering that. And I'm not too sure where that had landed. You know, it's one of those things where I think it's easy to say and hard to put into practice. Oh, for sure. But but I, I can't speak for, you know, I, I, I wasn't responsible for the actual open part of that project. But gotcha. was it a project? Yes, I think it was. <laughs> Very good. Well, then one year later, in 2011, iMessage launches with the iPhone 4S, Apple's messaging service to compete with, at that time, BlackBerry Messenger right. and other messaging services. What was your role specifically in the iMessage development? Was it the app side, service side, or both? It was both. I, I was responsible for the app side directly and for launching uh, as a whole and was working very closely to define that service side and what would it entail and how would it look and working with our design team as well as our backend team, uh, our, our server team, as well as the, um, the app team that, that uh, I was directly responsible for uh, to develop iMessage uh, off the heels of FaceTime. We'll get to the modern conversation, or at least the today's talk <laughs> about right. iMessage and RCS and all that. But in that initial development stages, now we kind of talk about the colors and how the green bubbles almost have this averse emotion when people see the green as opposed to the blue. Do you have any recollection of what the color choice process was like? Was there any kind of testing of different colors? Do, do you know, like, were you responsible in any of those talks? If you recall, the SMS... It was already green. The SM, the Messages app was just all green. It was green. green. Yeah. Like Messages app, it was called the SMS app. It yes. was green. It had a green icon. In fact, the Messages app today, if, you know, I'm not going crazy, still has a green icon. Oh, it's still, yeah, still green. There was never any pejorative green discussion, right? Like that's, that's the, in fact, that was the default color. And if you recall prior to iMessage, the send button uh, was blue. The bubbles were all green. The bubbles were all green. And as a part of building the client's side platform, you know, I think the big thing, it's funny because we talk, it reduces to blue bubbles and green bubbles. But I think the real innovation or the real Kickstarter of this is iMessage sits in the same app as right. SMS. And you as a user don't necessarily, I, I think that, you know, the theory is the user shouldn't have to think about the technology behind sending a message. Uh, you, you open your app, I want to talk to my wife, or I want to talk to my friend. And it's not like, well, what should I choose? I just open this right. and I'll get the best experience I can for getting this message from point A to point B. And I think that kind of triggers this whole, okay, so how do I know I'm getting the best experience? And and really, um, you could argue a user doesn't even necessarily need to know that, but a developer does. Right. Um, if, you're, if you're building and testing the app, you need to know, did that send as an iMessage or did that send as a text message or uh, what should I expect? Should I expect a delivery receipt here? Should I expect mm. a red receipt? Um, and then that does end up carrying to the users. Like, how do you set the expectation that the thing you sent will be received um, in the way you're intending. And and so that kind of carried through. And it was really more of an informational detail of you're going to get an enhanced experience because the bubble is blue rather than the base level experience because the bubble is green. And what that did is it gave us a lot more ability to have these two technologies coexist in the same app. That's what made it so powerful was that the users really didn't change their 
procedures at all. That's right. The same app that they were using for SMS texts for the three to four years prior. Now they use the same app in the same way, but they automatically get an upgraded experience if they're talking to another iPhone user, which That's again, right. that integration, I think made it such a, a powerful feature. Also, just a side note, I'm really glad to hear you say red receipts because I hear people say read receipts and I'm like, I don't know if that's right. So from the inside, can you tell us officially, did you guys call them red receipts? <laughs> I can't speak for that. Um, okay. I think, um, but, but I say red receipts, I guess I wasn't even, um, yeah. Cause I read the uh, message. It was subconscious. It means yeah. I read the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to dip my toe there, <laughs> uh, but I, I suppose I say red receipts since you caught it in my subconscious. Very well. Well, I agree with it. Uh, that's what I say as well. Now at the time, when iMessage came out in 2011 and in the few years after, I guess you were there about another year and a half or two years after iMessage launched. Were there any conversations at the time about iMessage being launched for other platforms like Android, whether it was with the development team or with VPs or even, you know, whoever else was up the chain? Was there any talk about that at the time? I recall having this be an open question mm. like should this be on other platforms all the way from you know is this a, should this be a federated system should should we build an apple android iMessage app um it was definitely something you know that's part of the the conversation i don't think any i don't think any technology company like cuts off any sort of thinking now you know you you know privately you figure out what your message is you go forward with it but like you know you try to figure out where this is going to go and when i was there it was very clear to me that we wanted to innovate uh, on the iOS platform, the team still was very small. So there was also just kind of a, we're not going to, we're not going to build this right now, it, whether or not strategically it makes sense or not. I, I think iPhone and iMessage was still kind of in its its infancy to be like, well, how much do we expand this? Because it's definitely, you know, Apple traditionally has been, we sell hardware, let's build, let's build software for hardware and not, Hey, let's build ecosystems for communication. And so that, that was kind of always the default mindset when, when, when I was there. Mm. And I think there's this interesting thing and it's actually because of FaceTime that iMessage uses was, was a service that used your phone number as your, as your identifier. You didn't Mm. pick a screen name, right? And uh, it uses the same service, the registration service that, that, FaceTime used. And so we got to piggyback off of that. And so there's also this question that kind of starts to come up, like who owns the phone number? And how do you know mm. that, that that's giving you the right signal on what the phone number is? And I think that just that one question, you go, okay, this is like not just a quick port. We have to actually really understand how these things can work. Then priorities happen and you got to ship the next iPhone and, you know, yeah. That would never be a, hey, engineers on the ground wrote this thing, let's ship it. It's like a very strategic question that needs to be answered by uh, the powers that be. Well, I also think, yes, it started with your phone number via carrier, and this will play into the RCS conversation also. Mm -hmm. But now when you have an iMessage attached to your iCloud account, it's also attached to your email address, like your iCloud email address. And for like my kids who use iMessage all the time, they don't have a phone yet, so they don't have a phone number. Mm -hmm. So nothing is attached to a carrier. Their iMessage experience is strictly relegated to their iCloud email address, and it's still the same product. They still message and have all the same features as iMessage elsewhere. And I think that's a major advantage that iMessage has in compared to something like RCS or even WhatsApp that really tries to make your messaging account attached to your phone number 
which in the future could change. I think there's a right. higher likelihood that someone's phone number might change. Maybe they move, even move to a different country or just a different state here in America, as opposed to your iCloud email, which has the potential to be the same for your entire life. And I would prefer whatever identity the people closest to me message me with is that identity instead of a phone number that is beholden to a carrier that I may lose one day if I go to a different carrier. For that, my next question to you then is now to the modern conversation of RCS <laughs> versus iMessage. You know, there's pressure on Apple to either adopt RCS into the Messages app or open up iMessage to other platforms. I think the latter is much less likely. How do you feel now kind of being not working for Apple for a number of years, but you're still an entrepreneur, still in the technology space? Well, what are your feelings on that closed ecosystem versus RCS and what you think Apple should do here? Yeah, great question, Stephen. And it's interesting just to piggyback off that before I go into this, which is, you know, the whole iCloud email mm -hmm. uh, as an addressable unit. That was very early in our system. And that was um, really to support iPod Touch back in the day and iPad. Right. Because those didn't necessarily have cellular service or, or phone numbers for that matter. And so uh, we wanted this to support, you know, the Apple ecosystem. And it's interesting how that's carried over into, you know, other just basic use cases and, and is still very applicable today. I had a conversation about RCS in like 2011 <laughs> with oh, okay. phone carriers. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's not like RCS is a new thing right? in any way. And it's something that is only now coming up, I think, because it's receiving adoption. I think, you know, uh, I think when you say pressure, I think there's, you know, a very specific uh, set of company yes. that uh, is doing that. And I think there's a, there's a bigger question here, and that is around ability to deliver. Mm. And when you create interoperability across even platforms or companies or networks or systems, you essentially put a stake in the ground and say, this is kind of the base experience. And you kind of agree to innovate uh, in a way that will always support the base experience. And this is kind of something that RCS is an evolution. It comes from the same, you know, place that SMS and MMS came from, right. which is, uh, you know, classic cellular technology. But the reason why iMessage was developed was because SMS and MMS were these very base level, basic experiences because it needed to work for, you know, every phone that supported this. And, and you end up having to kind of understand that there's a reason why when you send a message that's not over iMessage, it's a postage stamp and <laughs> why you can't send, you basically can't send a video right. over MMS. That's not to say that you shouldn't interoperate. You could say, hey, SMS, you know, uh, how has that evolved? Has everything moved past that? And is there a new kind of base standard to support across platforms? I haven't looked at the RCS doc in years, so I, I couldn't say. Well, and, and let me ask you this, because I have made the argument that Apple is not going to adopt a technology that does not work as people would expect it to yet. And if you look at RCS right now, Verizon is supporting RCS. They are calling it their advanced messaging features, but it does not work cross-carrier yet. Same with AT&T. Right. So if Apple even adopted RCS right now and said, you can use RCS in the Messages app, it's built in. Me as an AT&T user could actually not use advanced messaging features via RCS with a Verizon user because the carriers right. still don't support that interoperability. And I feel like Apple is not going to adopt something where customers are going to be like, why isn't right. messaging working with my Android friends as I thought it would? 
but when it's still on the carriers to get their act together. I mean, does that kind of jive with your history with Apple? I mean, let me put it differently, because I think it's totally at the crux is, you know, Apple and to some extent other technology companies are trying to solve problems for people. They're not trying to figure out how to how to adopt technology for the sake of adopting it, mm. uh, for the most right. part. I think when you're trying to solve a problem for users, you don't do this. Now, is that narrative violated occasionally? Of course. But at a base level, that's, I believe, at least when I was at Apple, success begat success in the sense that if you were successful with your users, they would buy your products and you could do more. Yeah. And here is a perfect example of when's the last time I had to worry about what carrier you were on and what carrier I was on? That's kind of a solved problem. Why would we reintroduce that when it comes to this stuff? <laughs> right. Right. In fact, there's other, if you really need true ubiquity, you go use WhatsApp, mm. you know, because you have international friends and family and that's a multi-platform thing. Thing. And and no, that's not Apple. That's not iMessage. No, but do they have an app on every on every device in every you know most countries? Yes, and you can go use that if that fits you what your needs are. And and and, and so it goes back to okay, what's the base level universal experience? Right. And in in the sense, RCS is not the base level, and in fact, it's not even close to being the base level because SMS and MMS work effectively everywhere and then what's on top of that actually users do have choices but also like you said like why now do i need to worry about that why would i why would i adopt that right mainly just because google's like vice president is tweeting about it that's right, really the right. only reason yeah and the interesting <laughs> thing about about google is they they've had google hangout you know and they kill they essentially abandoned it they had allo google hangout google wave google gchat yeah and, and pick your pick your thing and, and I think there was, a, the, you know, they have their reasons, right? It doesn't, it just doesn't, the tech, the, the proposed solution doesn't even jibe with the complaint in today's world. Mm. And maybe if that changed, then there could be something there. But as far as right now, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your company future, but sure. real quick before we get to that, you were working at Apple when Steve Jobs passed yes. in 2011. I still remember that Wednesday evening when I saw the news and it was sad, even for someone who had never worked for Apple or had any communication with Steve Jobs. It was still emotional for me. What was it like for you and internally during that time and during that transition? You know, there are things in your career that you never forget. And that's certainly one of those days. Uh, I was sitting in my office in IL2, uh, Infinite Loop Campus. Uh, the new campus obviously was still a... Yeah. It was in the planning stages. And... I come out of my office, um, and it's funny because I think it's like I load CNN on on my computer, like uh, it, the, and I see the the headline, mm. and you know it's like Steve died, and you know you know he had been sick, and you know he had resigned, and you knew these things, but you just didn't know. And I remember coming out and seeing my team, and it was very very somber. Yeah, you do what's comfortable, right? And so we sat around and talked, and we end up going to. Um, BJ's, which is the uh, restaurant and bar that's right next to Apple Campus. Mm. And we kind of sat and talked and told stories, our Steve demo stories and our Steve kind of just, you know, you reminisce and you tell stories and, and it's sad. And, and you know, we're, no one on my team was like, hey, I was just so buddy-buddy with Steve or anything like that. Yeah. But we all had interacted with him at some level or another. And at some 
in a deeper way, he was the guiding force of the company at that time. And you trusted decision-making because you knew he was at the helm. And many of us, myself included, joined the company because we all saw something very special in the leader of that company. And that, that leader had left us. Mm. I remember uh, I, at the time, uh, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, drove home. We lived in San Francisco and worked in Cupertino. I just remember getting about halfway home and just losing it, you know, just bawling mm. for for a guy who probably, probably didn't know my name. I mean, we worked together about, you know, on stuff, but he did that with hundreds of people. Sure. And just just feeling a real a real loss. And I think over the past years having him be part of my story uh, about products that I built and worked on and demos that I gave to him and feedback I got from him. You know, I knew it was special then, but only as time passed have I realized like how truly unique that was. And it was something that, you know, I'll, 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 I'm just so thankful to have had mm. direct exposure to, to the guy. So did you actually have some situation where you actually pitched something to him during your tenure at Apple? or? Oh, all the time. Because oh, I was responsible for FaceTime and iMessage and, <laughs> sure, and the client sure. experience, I was always, sure. you know, every Monday afternoon, you know, during development, you're you're on a cycle where you're constantly giving demos. And especially for like FaceTime, you know, someone needs to be on the other side of that call. And I would say, you know, a chunk of that time I was on the other side of that call. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. There's tons of stories, both in his biography and in the creative selection book of kind of his notorious quick decision making or just very much like this or this. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Giving it to the developer or whoever is working and just going with it. Did you ever have that kind of experience where it was just a very like quick, like, yep, that's the one or absolutely nope, not that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. All the time. And in fact, it was such a known style of Steve's that I would often tell my team, hey, if you don't like the one he picked, it's because you gave him that option. Like, don't give him bad options. Like, that's our, you know, because it's like, oh, Steve decides everything. It's like, no, but Steve decides from what we show him. Right. And so if we show him two crappy things and, and or three crappy things and he picks a crappy thing, mm. well, whose fault's that? Wow, <laughs> you know, yes. so, um, and, and then oftentimes he would push harder. He'd like, I pick zero of the three. And, and that was always the most frustrating. For we were sure. like, wow, I really thought we were onto something here and we were super off track. The other thing I would say about Steve is he wasn't afraid to change his mind. And I think that's something that, uh, that's a leadership quality that, that I try to emulate even, even more now, which is like when you have new data or you've thought about it and you've changed your mind, just express that and don't make excuses for that. If it's going to be better for the product, then fine. Better to know now than later. Yeah. As a develop, as an engineer and as a manager, like that wasn't always uh, as appreciated in the moment. But I think looking back, it was something that was pretty interesting to see that he would, he could pick A one day, B the next day, and then be back on A the day after. Mm. But oftentimes it's like that ability to really kind of ruminate in what you might be able to do and the possibility that you end up on the right answer. Right. That's fascinating. Well, after your time at Apple, you kind of went through Airbnb, That's right. working on some of their platforms. And now you've co-founded a company called Future, really working in the digital fitness space, which I think is fascinating because Apple has just gotten into this space as well right. with Fitness Plus. But tell me a little bit about what Future is doing in the area of fitness. I'm so excited to talk about Future because it's, it's not an obvious next step for me um, on the face of things. But Future is really about connecting people with other people and helping them achieve their goals. It's really, it's this communication piece that I worked on at Apple and saying, if if you had, you know, you use FaceTime and iMessage to talk to your friends and family, 
But these days, if you can have someone in your life who is helping you with things that you need help with, and, and fitness is our first kind of subject matter, and you have an expert on the other side who's there to plug into your life, that that's a very powerful thing. What we do is we connect people with fitness professionals, personal trainers, and performance coaches via our messaging service, actually. Which you know something about building a messaging service. (laughs) Yes, which I know something about building about. And really establish a really strong personal connection and relationship and, and deliver on giving you highly customized plans and really try and meet you where you're at on your fitness journey or your health journey, adjust for that. And and one of the things we noticed, especially with Apple Watch, there's like 100 million Apple Watches out there that all are giving great data about our health and about, you know, our steps and our activity and these things. And and what all that data has done is it's forced us to kind of marshal ourselves and, and develop an understanding of what's good and what's bad. And what we do is we take that and um, with our service, you get a real coach who's an expert who knows about this stuff and and takes watch data, your workout data, and like builds a plan for you and around you. And it is just a very highly customized uh, workout and fitness experience. And it's something that we just believe that at the end of the day, people move people and that technology can help with that. And so we're putting the coach at the center of this experience for our members. And, and so it's this health meets communication story here. That's awesome because, you know, it's interesting, especially since the pandemic, we've seen other areas, other industries move to this online and virtual connection point. You know, I think about BetterHelp, which has sponsored this podcast a while ago. You know, that really became elevated once it was like everyone has to stay home, but we still need mental health help. That's right. And so, you know, for services like that coming out, first of all, the app is beautifully designed. I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, great ratings. It's like 4.9 stars. What exactly... Once you get matched with a coach, is it just messaging? Is there any kind of video component? And, you know, is there any kind of like FaceTime, for lack of a better word, yes. uh, communication with your coach? Great question, Steve. When you, after you match with your coach, um, you actually get on a FaceTime call with them. We actually use FaceTime. <laughs> Very good. And they get to know you and you get to see, this is a real human. This is a real expert. This is a person who's going to know my name and understand me. Uh, better and and understand whether it's like, hey, I already work out at the gym four days a week and I've been doing the same routine and I need to unlock kind of the next stage of my fitness or, hey, I'm just getting off the couch. I find my life to be super chaotic. Um, I've got kids. I've got a family. I've got all this stuff and I just, I I have a hard time finding time for this and uh, I know it's good for me. I just, this isn't my natural hobby. Our coaches work around that and and for the first time, we're not saying, hey, here's some content, do it. And if you don't, it's your problem. We say, let's understand your situation and figure out how to unlock success with you. Um, And what we provide is a a workout experience. And so we have uh, exercises and all that pre-recorded. So you can look at video on your, on your iPhone. And we actually have an, uh, an Apple watch app. You can kind of, you can track everything and see what's coming up next and, and all this stuff. So there's this whole workout experience. But also if you like to run or you do yoga or, you know, let's say you even go to classes now, now that things are opening up, we're here for the entire experience. We're your hub for all uh, your fitness and, and, and health needs. So we'll just add that in. And it's trying to figure out what what's going to get you and keep you successful and have you, you know, if you could have a person for this journey, um, what would you want that person to do is kind of what you, you could ask yourself. And it turns out that this is something that we see great success in, as you see with the reviews, and we have a very high success rate because 
we're not just kind of automating this. We're realizing that there's a real uh, connection that gets developed, a real relationship. And now that I think what the pandemic has shown us is you don't need to just rely on the just who are the people down the street that you can go in and make an appointment with or who's being offered at your gym, but you can get really, really good expertise through digital means. Uh, and so our coaches are all over the country serving our members who are all over the country virtually. And that's something that I think isn't just a, a trend for fitness, but a trend for a lot of services moving into the future. And what we've done is we've really built a service around that relationship and that connection and that understanding that fitness is a highly personalized experience. Um, and there's nothing more personal than having someone who's helping direct that with you. And I love that initial kind of setup in the app process. It really asks you a lot of questions on what kind of coach you want, even up to the uh, slider where you can say, <laughs> I want a coach that's super intense or not intense at all. It gives me a little bit of peace of mind to know like this is the temperament of the person that's going to be coaching me over the next however long, hopefully a long time. But how much contact do the coaches and people using the app typically have? I mean, is this, you know, daily, multiple times a day? And what do those conversations typically look like? That's a great question, Stephen. We we built Future to be more than just about, let's just talk about your workouts, your reps, your sets, let's go. This is about much more than that. And so on average, our coaches are having conversations every day with their members. And some, you know, if you don't want that level of engagement, you don't you don't have to, but they exchange on average, you know, four messages a day with 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 clients back and forth. You know, 1500 messages a year. And that's mm. when you think about it, when you see your doctor, if you see your, I don't see a doctor regularly, I should. Right. But you you see your doctor twice a year maybe. Uh, and so to have someone in your life who's 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 in it, who's who's there. Um, and those messages, you know, they start out talking about your workouts and your, you know, and, and how they're going and what your goals are and, and these sorts of things, or even trying to figure out what your goals should be. Maybe you come and you're like, I know I need to do this, but I haven't had any time for this. I haven't, you know, I don't think about this. You know, your coach is there to help you think about that. They're, they're your advocate. What we see is that people start to talk about much more than their fitness. They talk about, you know, there's, you know, their stress or how they're sleeping or how they're eating. Mm -hmm. and, and your coach can take that into consideration and really try to build a plan and give you advice that really puts you at the center of this. But you're not just trying to figure it out on your own. You really do have a thought partner in how to kind of live a healthier life. And it's really pointing at that journey that it's not about just what the next goal is, but like, how do you just make decisions every day? And how do you have someone there helping you do that along the way? Yeah, and I also love how much you integrate the Apple Watch. You even have an option to borrow an Apple Watch for the time while you're using the service. That's right. And it's incredible. And my wife actually saw a cardiologist the other day. And they said, hey, you know, if you ever feel a certain way, take the ECG on your Apple Watch and send it to me that data is great, you know, and, and we find it reliable. And just that ability to have so much data about your health that's being tracked all the time that you can share with someone to then guide you in what to do next. How does that work with your coaches? What, what kind of data do they look for from your clients, Apple watches? And then what do they do with that? That's a great question, Stephen. And it is that it's the closing of the loop of 
this type of data and, and giving it to an expert to make it actionable. Uh, an example I like to say is if you get your 5,000 steps a day, so now what? Like, should I do 6,000? Does that materially change <laughs> anything about me? I don't know. Like, you know, I, <laughs> well, there's people who actually have degrees in this stuff that know exactly, uh, you know, what that means and what you should do with that. And so for our coaches, um, looking at your heart rate and how that does during workouts and how it changes based off the exercises, looking at things like your runs and your pacing and all these sorts of things are are helpful to the coach in understanding that. And, and we plan to integrate sleep and all these things. So if you get a bad night's sleep, your coach can say, you know what, you're supposed to do a hard workout today. I'm going to dial that back. We're going to do some stretching. You're going to do mm. some uh, you know, breathing exercises and we'll get back into it tomorrow. Wow. Like that's the level of expertise and customization we offer. That's so good because you know my wife does a video series of workouts on our Apple TV and, you know, she tries to follow the 100 days and she likes to go in order and, you know, not miss a day. But there are some times where she didn't have a good night's rest or it's just a really long day the day before. And she sees that there's like, you know, a 45 minute high intensity workout on the like, schedule oh, for that man. day. And then, you know, it's that <laughs> real struggle of like, do I push myself to do this? And then might I just take myself out for the rest of the day? Or do I do something different and feel like I, I'm, you know, messed up? I feel like I missed a day. And to have someone like a coach to say, I see that you didn't sleep well. You can take it easy today, and that's actually best for your health. Just having that little bit of peace of mind, I think, would be a huge deal for some people. And, and Stephen, that's exactly it, is we provide people the infrastructure they need to succeed. So many people hit that point where they're like, oh, I'm off track, or oh, I missed that one, or oh, I don't feel it today, and then they don't come back. And that's not because that person is lazy, and it's not because that person isn't motivated, and it's not any of that. It's just... And I put myself in that bucket. We need support. Yeah. Um, and we need the okay. Okay, so what is? what are the implications of that? Should I go back and do that workout? Should I do a light version of that workout? Does it count? Does it not? <laughs> right. To have someone's like, hey, that part's on me. You just tell me when you can show up and what you can give. And we'll figure out the rest. Yeah. That's like a totally different way about feeling and thinking about fitness. Traditionally, we've thought about it in terms of here's the plan. If you follow it, you're good. And if you're not, that's kind of on you. Future takes a, just a different approach. It's it's very much like, let's figure out how to make this work. And if that's what you have today, that's what you have. And and if, if it's not in the cards today, let's figure out how to make it work for tomorrow. And to give that space of understanding that we're human, things are happening all the time. Your kid gets sick, you have to work late, or you, you slept like garbage the night before. And it's all, it's, it's recognizing the humanity of life and putting that in a service and saying, you don't need to figure this out all by yourself. Uh, that gets to the heart of why Future is so successful. Very cool. So if someone wants to try Future, sign up for the service and give it a shot, where can they go to find it? They can go to tryfuture.com. Tryfuture.com. That's a good, that's a yeah. good URL. Very cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, and, and it is, I mean, we really try to develop user experience that is not about the technology. It's not about the Apple Watch. It's really about getting you signed up, getting you going, getting you on your way. And the, the interesting part about the company is all of the complicated aspects are, are behind the scenes. And that's something that uh, I think is directly from my experiences at Apple that we built it that way. Yeah. And I have to say again, now I'm looking at the website. I was on the app before. You guys have beautiful design everywhere. And I don't know, I'm sure you're like this, but when I see something that's kind of not designed well, I immediately am averse to it. <laughs> I don't want to use it. And uh, you guys kill it. And I imagine that's 
part of your background, how much do you have in as far as overseeing like design work? Do you are you kind of deep into that? You really get involved with that, or do you have someone that really handles that well? I'm I'm responsible for design. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm not the designer. Uh, that's not my trade. Sure, but sure. Uh, definitely, I hire our designers, and I'm and they they report to me um, <laughs> you directly. I get it. But that's the thing is like future is about caring about the details and about getting the things right because what we are doing is we're trying to be an advocate in your life, and so those details matter. And that's also why I think the you know natural progression from Apple to something like this. In a space that I think is often really very much about a certain type of attitude, you know, to bring this considered approach is something I'm just ecstatic to to be working on. Very cool. We'll put links to the service and the app in the show notes if listeners want to click that. Uh, this has been a pleasure, Justin. Before we go, if you would oblige, I would love to know if you have one Steve Jobs story that really just stands out that you remember either an interaction or a feature thing or something that you could that really just sticks in your mind it was kind of that I don't know, just one of those interactions with Steve Jobs. I can do that. It's not an exclusive interaction. I've told this story before, but I think it's definitely uh, one worth telling because this is a very personal interaction. It was a Friday afternoon and I'm sitting in my office. And at this point, I'm a manager. I'm not developing code. I'm like, you know, I'm a professional meeting meeting guy. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a meta worker, I like to say. And my VP and our uh, program manager, Kim, our VP, Henri, come into my office and go, Steve wants to see FaceTime. I wasn't called FaceTime at the time, but that's what I'll say. <laughs> and I go, sure, great. You know, because it's Friday and demos are Monday afternoon. Like, should be fine. No problem. We'll, we'll get something ready. Uh, friends, my it ruins our weekend, but you know, what, it is what it is. <laughs> sure. And they're like, no, 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 no. He wants to see it today. And, you know, it's like 1030. I was like, okay, well, um, I'll get it set up over lunch, you know, one o'clock work. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's walking over from aisle one right now. Oh. I was like, oh, oh <laughs> a what? A dread. Um, a feeling of dread. He's walking over right now. And I mean, that's like four minutes notice, right? <sighs> and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so I go to an engineer's office. His name's Jeremy. And Jeremy, do you have two phones at work? <laughs> Uh, I think these do. They don't really connect. Um, they, but like once they're, if you can get them like connecting, well, what was happening and just inside baseball, like the phone wouldn't wake from sleep. This is like early in development. This is like nothing ever works when you're in development. And so like if sure. the push got sent, but the phone wouldn't wake up for the push, so you couldn't connect uh -huh. the FaceTime call. And so he's like, yeah, they don't wake up. So like you've got to like manually get the call to work. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I can do that. So I literally have these two phones and I mean... <laughs> If you can imagine, like when you give a job, when you give a demo to Steve or it's just the CEO of a large multinational corporation, you don't, you, you, you have the nicest devices. They're fully charged. Right, They've right. been spit shined, you know? And, and here I have these like two like grubby thing, fingerprints all over the thing. I mean, I'm just like, this they is. You didn't have the apple polishing cloth at that time. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, you know, that was, that was probably in develop, deep in development in <laughs> years. 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, you know, it's like I'm rubbing this thing against my shirt to try to get some of the I just like this is such a disaster um, and then sure enough I see him turn the corner and it's like okay it's showtime and I hand him one of the phones and I keep the other and you know pleasantries are exchanged <laughs> and <laughs> he goes all right well you know go into your office so we can do this because you can't be in the same room obviously to have a FaceTime call so I I'm literally go on the other side of my office door close the door and I hold the phone up and I start doing what I do when I test the phone, 
which is you're testing audio, video sync, and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, you know, and this is something I've been doing. Um, we for years because I worked on iChat before that, but we didn't get into that. And I, I, I stare at the the camera and I, and I with my uh, left hand, I start counting, you know, counting off one, two, three, so that he can see the voice and see my hands, you know, count it off. So you can see the synchronization, mm. which is just a standard test we run. He's like, what are you doing? Like, talk to me like a normal human. And I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> You're doing uh, the procedure, like that's. Oh, sorry, Steve. Yeah, hey, how's it going? How's your day? week? And, he, and and what's funny is Steve's holding the phone and he's holding it chest at, at his chest right. and looking down. Mm, the classic grandfather uh, yeah, look. Yeah, for FaceTime. you know, and like half his face is in the bottom half of the screen type thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, <laughs> and he goes, "I look abominable." <laughs> Oh, so good. And, and you know, it's early on in like, I mean, again, selfie is not a word yet, right? right? And so it's not like, oh, Steve, you're completely holding it wrong. That's not how the kids do it because the kids didn't do it yet. You know, like, you, yeah, you're exactly. like, oh, I guess you, I guess that's how you can hold it. That's one way to hold the phone. Also to say you're um, holding it wrong prior to the iPhone 4 antenna gate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, uh, yeah. Oh, geez. That was, yeah. <laughs> you're holding it wrong. Uh, not my department. <laughs> <laughs> and you know from that and then you know stuff happens and after that uh there, there's other stuff that happens but i just remember that and yes, i you know yes. it's a one-on-one with steve completely impromptu <laughs> but what came from that and that's funny because that kind of sets the tone for this whole conversation is at that point facetime was its own app mm. and he said i should just be able to go from phone call to video call or it should be one click i shouldn't have to register a new service there shouldn't da, 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 da. it should just it should just be tied to, if I know your phone number, I should be able to video call you. Mm. And that actual, like, I guess you could say directive or that, or that a few second interaction yeah, comes there and it completely changes what FaceTime becomes. And it actually is the thing that, you know, eventually makes its way to iMessage, eventually allows you to overlay iMessage on top of SMS and eventually gets you blue bubbles versus green. Wow. Very cool. Well, that was a, a perfect bow. Uh, for this conversation. Justin, thank you so much again. We'll put links to future, tryfuture.com. That'll be in the show notes. Also, Justin's Twitter and links to the Future app as well. Justin, thanks again for joining us on the Apple Insider Show. Steven, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 